Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me as always is my daily dose of vitamin C and D, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? Good. Today we have Low 18, written by Rick Remender, illustrated by Greg Tocini, and colored by Dave M. Cage. And we've also got Astro City 44, written by Kurt Busiek, illustrated by Rick Lenardi, inks by Andy Parks, colors and colors by Peter Pantazis. This is based on the all-important criteria of having a superhero cat, the greatest comic anyone has ever made, ever. We'll save that for the end. We'll start with Low 18. Yeah, this was a book I wasn't reading before this. You said you had some pretty positive impressions of it? Yeah, I either read the first issue or the first trade, so maybe that doesn't give the best impression, but I remember really liking the art, and I also um, have read some of the previous collaboration between Rick Remender and Greg Toccini, the, uh, the Last Days of American Crime, which was similarly gorgeous. I'd only read them on X-Force, of all things, and I don't remember Toccini's art being particularly great on that. Though then again, A, it was a different colorist, and B, was working towards the fixed monthly or sometimes even twice monthly deadline of marvel comics yeah that can yeah like stricter deadlines can make people have to cut corners but thankfully low 18 is just as gorgeous as i as i remember his work being yeah i would agree with that and the colorist definitely helps i I was remembering his work on x-force being colored by dean white who does really dull, dark, saturated purple hues everywhere. It just looked kind of murky, but here with Dave M. Keg, who does really bright, cell-shaded type work, it looks really beautiful. I'm not sure cell-shaded is the best way to describe it. Um, is it. Immediately when you open the page, there's this very deliberate, um, rough brushstroke pattern over everything, and as you continue through the issue, there's a like a rough texture to like almost everything it's quite interesting how the coloring combines with the art a lot of these scenes are characters walking through just a city falling apart and the color and the art sort of give this set like it's not quite entirely defined the structure of everything of what's happening everywhere the architecture here is genuinely amazing as well as all the background details, which if we are to avoid getting an explicit content rating, we can't really talk about. I don't think it's against the iTunes content guidelines to say the word. It isn't? Okay, well, that appears a lot in this book, given how it takes place in a CD. A lot of it is in a CD brothel in an under dystopia speaking of the colors there's um like the colors establish quite an interesting sense of place i noticed how the characters themselves are a lot brighter that and bold maybe not brighter so much as bolder in colors than everything around them like they do stick out they aren't lost in this maze there's actually this very interesting sequence uh, fairly early on where 
there's three main characters and they're walking through this slum area. They're more of a blue and m- most everyone around them is more of an orange and the cr- crowd sort of rushes towards them and they're like a sea of orange and they're like blue against them and the crowd sort of pushes them through a window and once they get through the window there's like a single pink panel at the end of a page and then when you turn it the entire scene's gone pink so like visually it just looks like ball of orange has pushed them into an area that's pink and that also that's when the main character gets separated from her two friends interesting how the color is reinforcing the action of it that's true colors definitely fit the mood and i guess they have a the orange and the pink start to blur together like on that one can we say orgy here oh yeah we can say orgy but what are you talking about you have to specific. it's on yeah it's nine and it's a mix of orange and pink like orange backgrounds and i guess the sister della is wearing of what she actually is wearing an orange cowboy hat and cowboy boots but the people she's with are rendered in pink which is pretty a good way to show her as the center of the scene i yeah i hadn't noticed that one of the tricks i did like about this page like the first few pages are the main character looking for her and they've all got panels and then the edge of the page is white and then we turn to this and a bleed panel that goes all the way out to the edge of the pages and also the page to the side like the the robot arm no i'm talking about the orgy page i don't see any bleed on the orgy well yes there's the big splash panels i guess this was originally a two-page spread and then on the right there's a set of different panels showing the sex until it's interrupted by a pistol whip but if you're in comicsology there should be a button down the bottom that says two pages okay now on two pages now the whole thing reads as a two-page spread reads as a a single composition there's a lot of two-page spreads in the latter half of the book speaking of two-page spreads that's actually another trick i wanted to talk about yeah the two-page spread yeah the two-page spreads start again when the two characters jump onto a train and unlike the first two-page spread which was where she finally finds the target in the middle of an orgy it doesn't reach all the way to the edge of the pages it reaches out to the left and the right there's actually a fair bit of white at the top and the bottom making it making the whole composition more wide it's a good approach for doing two-page spreads i've seen a lot of two-page spreads in comics which were difficult to read because it wasn't clear if they were just going left to right or top to bottom but this is this composition works really well for it and i also think it sort of matches the shape of the train like the train is rushing like left to right and it's sort of like a long action and that's mimicked in how the pages are laid out and that continues for let's see there's one two page splash oh it's just the two pages i thought it went on longer than that the two page spreads start end with the explosions a lot of yeah after the chase there's a big explosion in one of the buildings with a bunch of limbs flying around that's the last two-page spread of the issue and then we get to the confrontation between tahoe the main character and della her parent sister oh yeah there's the two two-page spreads and then there's a normal page and then there's a two-page spread again but yeah this one reaches all the way to the top there's actually a few little tricks are different like because this is the big crash a few little tricks to separate it one it's the top panel reaches all the way to the top there's no 
border between the first tier and the second tier, and one of the panels is, like, rotated 45 degrees. It's literally rocking the panel out of symmetry. Yeah, it's quite interesting to see. Like, they've really sort of thought of the book as a series of, like the comic is, it's a series of compositions between two pages, which I suppose, like, this is an image book, and if I'm remembering correctly, they don't have add-on in between them in the print editions. There's a lot more control over which page is going to be on the left and which is going to be on the right. Ads have too many times ruined comics for that reason. I remember with during DC a few years ago, they were doing this thing where they had the ads run across half of a two-page spread. So you'd get like the comic on the top half, the actual story, and then the ad for whatever they're selling on the bottom. And Oh my god, that was uh, oh dear. of many advantages to Image at, as a publisher at this point, that they don't require those adverts. On the next page over, we see that trick again, where it's an otherwise normal page, but it's stretching all the way to the bottom. Like, the last pa- the, sorry, the last tier is stretching all the way to the bottom, and it's sort of, this is a pa- like a panel that's cutting away from the action, so it kind of gives it a sense of, like, because the panel doesn't end, so, so to speak, it sort of gives it a sense of not being a specific moment in time, but rather a general sense of that area, and then the panel on the next page is that same area exploding, and then like, a lot of the action continues is like like in most comics, it would just be like a flat orange, but this has got that rough paintbrush texture again, which... Or is it more of a brush stroke? Like, you can see the brush strokes in it. Like, clear that each piece has a direction. Yeah, this is really interesting from a, like, how a composition for how the pages are laid out. They've, like, there's a two-page spreads, like we already talked about, both the one that reaches to the top at the bottom, which is more just to sell you on the craziness of the orgy and then there's the ones that just stretch out to the left and right which give sort of a make the action seem like it's almost specifically like lined up to the action of like fighting on top of a train and then we get panels that reach the top and the bottom where they want to try and set like sell like get you to linger and then there are panels that reach the top and the bottom where they want you to linger on a scene. The scenes where they want you to linger tend to have more defined architecture. In terms of buildings and sewage and structures, and this is an extremely elaborate book. There was one mm-hmm. other composition thing I wanted to talk about, but I'm just trying to find it. Oh, yeah, just before they jump onto the train, there's a, like, on the it's a right-hand page, and on the left-hand page there's a fairly, like, normal layout on the left hand page is a fairly normal layout except at the end there's sort of two panels squeezed on top of each other where one would normally be and then the page over is five really long like letterbox panels stacked on top of each other really smushed together the character's running and then the last page is jumping onto the train and it stretches all the way down to the bottom and you can see you can follow the main character tahoe's path guess because she's has the clear blue jacket so even though there's but main colors in the top half seem to be oranges and blacks and grays you can follow her the eye isn't misled yeah they've made the effort to make one character wear like a very striking blue with the other character wearing a gigantic orange coat so yeah that makes the not to mention that tahoe's outfit is dark black you rarely see any kind of shading on it plus this is one of those cases where i wish i had known more about the series coming in she appears to have a demon tail 
as well as some horn-like objects floating above, right above her head. Oh, I, oddly enough, I hadn't noticed that. But yeah, now that you say it... I didn't notice it the first time, I guess, because there's so much going on in so many of the panels. But yeah, she's already a demon. The last thing I wanted to talk about with this one is how fluid all of the figures read. Yeah, there so- seems to be some kind of stretching of figures in specific panels. Their facial structure is kind of distort. I'm looking at it is on page 17 when they're grappling and one panel you can see that Della's face kind of contorting in pain as she's being shot in the hand. There's a lot of a lot of stretching and distorting and trying to sell the motion of the figures. Similar to uh, last few weeks ago when we talked about Humberto Ramos. He had an exaggerated sort of more cartoony way of selling the action. It's distorted but it doesn't quite have like cartoony proportions. It strikes, like, it reminds me more of, like, life drawing sketches I've seen that try it, like, the primary focus is to sell the, like, the flow of an action or an expression. In the Ramos comic that I won't say its name because of how I feel about it, it's, it seemed like the distortions were every scene, like, every face was exaggerated, every movement was exaggerated, I guess, to try to spruce up a comic where the script is just characters talking about social justice issues, but here, the distortion only happens in scenes where there's a lot of motion, otherwise the proportions remain relatively normal. Yeah, the distortion is, you know, a tool to sell motion, rather than, it's less obvious at first it's like after you read it for a while you like you sort of see like the characters feel really fluid which is important for conveying motion a medium that explicitly doesn't have it yes this was the first issue of low i've read in a while and gotta say i was quite impressed impressed lots of interesting design lots of interesting action it's all laid out interestingly if only i understood what was going on i kind of did i understood enough that i'm tempted to go back and read more it's on the list of rick remender creator owned comics from image that i need to catch up on there's been like five or six of them in the past year or so just look at the back he's a busy boy got to talk to him on a skype interview at the local comic store and he he doesn't have a lot of very kind words for marvel let's just leave it at that but he's very very content with what he's doing and how he's able to make a career out of creator-owned works and work with all these artists he's got such a good rapport with so good on him and well if he's making stuff like this then i can't blame him well since he described working at marvel as like working in a playground with a bunch of kids who demand to have access to their favorite characters but they can't always because they're appearing in a different book that month uh, dear. and is admit that his technique for getting around that was to try to have books where the characters were in a base off in the middle of nowhere like with x-force they were were in a cave with Secret Avengers, they were in the microverse, and they just as spatially removed from the rest of the Marvel Universe as they could. Yeah, I suppose the ultimate expression of that was just to do characters completely unrelated to that universe. Well, there's a lot of... Th- there's definite thematic overlap with what he's doing here and what he was doing there. 
are, but it's a lot better both from story and art without those constraints. But speaking of superheroes, our next book is a creator-owned superhero comic and possibly the greatest superhero comic in the past 20 years. Is this your first Astro City issue? I think I got the first issue of Astro City, like maybe it was free on Comixology once, or maybe there was one of those get the first issue of this series for one dollar, and I may have read it then. Otherwise, I'm completely unfamiliar with Astro City. Well, the hook to it is that it's an anthology of more slice-of-life-oriented stories in this archetypal superhero universe, and one of the things that makes it distinct is that there's so much design work put into Astro City and all the characters who inhabit it who simultaneously to look distinct from Superman and Batman. They also have to look like archetype the same archetypes are obviously playing on and oftentimes it doesn't really come up in the comic because they're doing stories about like a man who lost his wife because she was retconned out of existence in a time travel crossover or a guy who happened to get a glimpse of a major hero's secret identity and is debating whether or not to sell it to the local crime lords or in this case a cute little kitty yeah such a cute kitty uh yes you're about like cat i remember i remember when we were trying out making this podcast we talked about uh tarot witch of the black rose and you call i remember you calling me crazy for getting as excited for that book actually like surprisingly being i think perhaps the cat is making you see this in a better light than i am Perhaps. Well, the artist Rick Lenardi, he's a guest artist for this comic, but he's also been a Marvel and DC artist for several decades now. And he is definitely an artist I really like. He does have that kind of rubbery distortion to his figures that we saw in Tocini's art. But overall, he does pretty standard superhero work, just at a very high level of craft, in my opinion. That might be bent nostalgically. He did so many classic X-Men comics as villains, including the first Wolverine Sabretooth fight. But here he does the most important thing of all, which is, of course, to draw the cat and to make, sell the cat as a convincing cat, as well as a protagonist we can relate to, which is harder than you think. It's easier for people to draw other people than to draw animals without overly anthropomorphizing. I remember getting so pissed off when I was reading Green Lantern and they had the Red Lantern cat, Dexstar, basically look like a tiny human with claws and a cat head. But this cat, Kitty Hawk, her name is she moves like a cat she has cat expression she's got an inscrutable face so there are only hints of her expressions unless she's outright hissing and her motions are all total cat things like knocking a jar off a table even when it contains like some kind of radioactive hazardous stuff in it that's glowing blue yeah i'm not as familiar with cats as you are but it seemed to really sell i uh, yeah i'm not as familiar with cats as you are but this really seemed to sell that to be in the movement of a cat like as it was going through i mean this is definitely a different kind of superhero comic because the actual superheroines that own the cat are largely peripheral to the story the story is the cat's perspective and how the cat does all this stuff when little to no people are looking and i know you're not as crazy about cats as me but they do 
have a cameo by Rocket Dog, who I guess is the first time he's appeared. Going to the story, and they were talking about, oh, this cat got this magic goo stuff on it, and maybe something's going on with it. And they're like, yeah. spent a while setting up this cat, and then, oh, by the way, a dog that's flying around with fire and Kirby Crackle coming out of it just comes well, through. This is... Astro City. Even the way people are talking about Rocket Dog, he's just kind of a neighborhood annoyance. There's a world where the level of superheroiness is cranked as far up as it possibly can go. The dog seems to be sold fairly well. The way you see him, he's got the ears flapping forward, which is quite a nice touch. Yeah, very good dog body language and facial expressions, including backing off the second the cat hisses because cats have that power over dogs. It must be tricky. I remember someone talking once. They said, um, I spent years like going to life drawing classes and practicing drawing the hit the human figure and how to give it like expression and a sense of movement and then when you like have to draw like a dog or a cat it's a completely different anatomy you almost have to start again to be fair at least dogs are more visually expressive in their faces and cats possibly because the relationship people have to dogs is more open at least that's what they say dogs are more likely to suck up and do whatever they think will get you in their good graces cats do their own thing they don't play by the book and we have the cat doing all this stuff and the dog just kind of being a sidekick until he gets freaked out by being tased and runs away yipping and yipping they didn't they don't quite sell rocket dog as being particularly heroic in this one not all dogs are heroics there are plenty of cowardly dogs my parents have a cowardly dog who will immediately run to the other room whenever he's been around my cat even though the cat's like a third his size as i was going through this comic fairly straightforward for the most part like most every page is like a set of grids i don't think it breaks the grid at any point but one of the things it does do surprisingly is how it handles um the spot blacks and shadows when the cat is going into bad guy place for the first time there's a few little interesting tricks like they've got the cat all in shadow in one of the and as behind a building it's it's almost like it's just black and white and like almost just a fairly flat gradient and it's all sort of told very noiry with the cat walking behind the shadow of the building that's a good way of helping show the world from the cat's perspective because cats can get into pretty much anything and they can slink through shadows and corridors that we can't and at this point also look like to point out the design for the bad guy who's a crime lord named poppin jay who look literally dresses like a giant blue jay that's like one of the most strikingly ridiculous designs i've ever seen for a villain yeah it was a pretty fun design probably as good a point as any to talk about uh the character designs and you were mentioning that they were done by alex ross most of them i mean it's divvied up between ross brent anderson who was the main artist for many years and the artists they've gotten since then including lenardi and i forget his name but the guy who did the comic that was about a australian superhero team of all australian stereotypes i have to read that one of these days yes i do so i know that the superheroine sun shrike and nightingale have appeared in the background of various astro city comics they're a lot like the general astro city heroes and that they look like they could have been characters who've been around 
for decades and have like elaborate histories to them, but we don't get those histories. They're part, just part of the larger universe as it goes into the smaller focuses. There was the design of the cat where she has like the dark shadows splotched over her, which convert into wings. Good effect for a flying cat. It's a very simple design, but it's clear what's going on, and it's very effective, I thought. The henchman guys for the the Blue Jay villain, they're a little bit uh, stripped down and simplified. I don't think a guy named Poppin' Jay, even if he has a lot of money, would be able to get that great henchman. Yeah, I sort of imagine they're not Blue Jay themed themselves, so they sort of look like they come from, like, a henchman temp agency which i wouldn't be surprised to find out is actually an issue of astro yeah i would not be surprised if they had something like that i mean in marvel they have the villain the taskmaster whose job is basically to run a henchman vocational training facility i'm sure the pace sucks and you get clobbered by much stronger heroes on a regular basis and when you go up against guys like wolverine you probably end up dead but can't pay that bad can it yeah i've had some negative experience with of agencies like that in the past and uh... well, i'm between jobs right now and if their attempt agency gave me a henchman position i'd probably take it i mean not for a guy dressed up like a giant blue jay or is he dressed up i mean it's possible that he really does have blue hair and a giant beak he knows yeah the designer sort of rides the line between is that actually him or is it's some costume it's yeah it's there's this one panel towards the end where like his face is tilted up and like the nose of the costume sort of has like natural nostrils in it so it's it could be just a guy with a long nose and he put on makeup for the rest i don't know if he has any blue jay themed powers doesn't look like it since the second the superheroes show up he gets beaten quickly there's a weird little thing at the end where there's one page where the top two tiers are the heroes beating up the blue jay guy and then the tier below is like the police securing all the henchmen and like the action at the top it's the hero holding the villain up by the scruff of his neck and sort of yeah she says or else poppy here will have some serious explaining to do is she holding him by the neck i think she's holding him by like the scruff of his shirt or something like that although that trick that our low was pulling to have panels extend all the way to the edge of the page to sell like more of a, t- a timeless moment is used again here. There is a lot of lingering on, especially during the cat scenes, because of course the cat doesn't talk. You just kind of, and you kind of have to figure out what the cat's thinking. Like there's a beat where you do see Kitty Hawk's face in profile. She's about to rescue the little girl. And I don't know, is that supposed to sell like the cat's concern for the hostage? Because the cat does free her from her chains and then just walks off to do other cat things. See, that's the most unbelievable part of this comic, is that the cat would be concerned about anyone else. Of course cats are concerned about other people. They just don't kiss ass about it. They're, I mean, if it were Rocket Dog doing this, he'd be, like, falling along and jumping up and down, waiting for the girl to pet him, but the cats are all like, I'm no hero. Never was. Never will be. Just an old killer. Oh, man. You wouldn't need to change anything in the art to be able to put, like, overbearing Frank Miller 
want to log over this, would you? Oh my god, that's the greatest idea. Yeah, like, you have, like, hard-boiled narration for this cat. That would actually work. I mean, I love this comic as is, but cats take themselves so deathly seriously while having actions that are so adorably goofy to us. I mean, we didn't... Unlike dogs, we never really domesticated cats in the sense that they don't really do anything for us that they wouldn't do on our own. We just infantilized them enough so that they're cuddly companions instead of fearsome predators. Sort of talking about the art as a whole, it's almost a DC house style kind of thing, even though it's separated off from DC in their Vertigo imprint. Well, Kurt Busiek worked for both Marvel and DC extensively before he emigrated to full creator-owned work. And a lot of the artists he worked with at those companies have done stuff for Astro City. Plus the fact that they're trying to sell Astro City as a fully featured superhero universe. Like, it could be Marvel or DC. It's just that we get much more interesting stuff out of it than we would in, like, 99% of Marvel and DC comics. Hey, I guess if... Like, the whole idea of Astro City is to give you a superhero universe that's technically, like, distinct from the DC and Marvel universe where they can tell little interesting side stories. I guess that it reads, like, a Marvel or DC superhero comic is the point of it. Because, like, when we were reading Low, there's so many weird designs to, like, every little, like, thing and background character and building and flying car that it's hard to sort of connected to anything else like maybe it's a little bit like fifth element or other mobius comics or it kind of reads a little bit like been following this twitter account that posts covers to old like sci-fi novels greg tocini's more in the frank quietly oeuvre than the mark bagley one would you say that he's doing it as art and he is definitely taking his time it's not like a product that has to get on the shelves every month and there is nothing bad with being that i mean the important thing about comics is that you tell the story with the pictures it's great when you have someone who can both tell a story perfectly and do it with the most beautiful art and i do feel that tocini excels at both but this is a really solid superhero art style lenar is definitely better than most because he has an organic quality to his lines and expressions that you wouldn't find in a lot of other marvel and dc comics oh yeah definitely and it's easy to imagine someone less experienced really getting tripped up by having to draw a cat in almost every Oh, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of otherwise great artists have failed when it comes to doing cats, just like the Dex Star example in Green Lantern. But yes, that was Astro City 44. Yeah, good times. Will you be returning to any of these comics? Astro City, I've been following in trades. I might start with Low when it's on my list. There's so much to read, and time and especially money don't provide me the chance to read everything. But yeah, we had two good comics this week, one of them being the best comic ever. I imagine I'll be returning to Low. I really like the design stuff that was going on in there. I'm not quite so sure on Astro City. Well, it's an anthology series, so like there are specific arcs that I could lead you to. Single-issue stories like the Australia one. Yeah, I have to read that one and to... Yes, you do. See what you Yanks think of us Aussies. No, the thing is that the artist they got for the issue, the guest artist was Australian himself. And 
Musiek asked him to come up with characters based on Australian ter- stereotypes of Australia, not Yankee stereotypes of Australia. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we'll do that as a bonus feature one of these days. Yeah, we're do... talking about comics and colors and art and great things and floofy fluffertons. Yeah, you're a floofy fluffertons. My own cat's in the other room. So I'm at Wirecats. Google it, W-Y-R-E-C-A-T-S. You can find the Comic Fury site as well as my various other pages. What about you, Dave? Uh, You can find the stuff that I do at DaveClarkArt.com. And that's Clark with an A. But yes, you've been listening to Read It for the Pictures. And we'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.